We're going to read from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. <clears throat> One of the parables that Jesus told. Uh, Matthew 25, and it's the first 13 verses. Let me read that to you, and then we'll think a little bit uh, about what this might mean for us today. Matthew 25, 1 to 13 says... At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in the jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Well, we've been through this series. We've called it Tales of the Kingdom. And uh, if you haven't been able to be here during these past, this past, uh, I guess, month or so, uh, let me give you a little bit of a, a recap. Uh, Jesus, particularly through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, there are four accounts of the history of the life of Jesus. Each one of those accounts come from a slightly different perspective. Uh, a different kind of focus. Uh, And Matthew's account particularly draws attention to the idea of the kingdom of Jesus. Uh, Matthew is particularly interested in what Jesus taught about uh, the beginning, the establishment and the ongoing uh, uh, message of his kingdom. That he is the king and that he is the king of a new newly established kingdom. Uh, And one of the ways that Matthew communicates that to us is by stories that Jesus told, which uh, the Bible uh, describes them as parables. Parables are stories which Jesus told, which have a kind of a timeless message, uh, a message which is, is bigger than just the message of the day, a message which conveys something of eternal significance. Uh, And so we're looking at these parables that Jesus told, stories, uh, where he begins, as we see here, that at that that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And we have a number of these stories where Jesus begins his parable, the kingdom of heaven will be like. I want to uh, raise the question right at the very beginning, which might seem strange in the light of this particular parable. What, what has this got to do with us today? Let me throw out some of the huge events 
that have really kind of focused in on our thinking from the news during these past few weeks. Uh, Derek Bird. I, I just, I guess for many of us, just need to use that name now. Uh, and it raises all sorts of questions in our minds, doesn't it? Inevitably. What a tragedy has gone on over in uh, the Lake District. Uh, and at the same time, what, yes, a tragedy, and yet at the same time, what a horror and what wrong. Uh, and I guess for many of us, we're left at the end of, uh, of thinking about that with this question going on in our minds. This guy has taken the life of so many people uh, and then at the end of it takes his own life. And it seems as though at the end of that, at the end of a tragedy, at the end of a horror, there doesn't seem to be any accountability. Let me ask the question. Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Does the Bible have any response to something like that? The seeming injustice, the, it's seeming as though somebody just gets away scot-free. We've got, in the same period of time, uh, Stephen Griffiths. He called himself the crossbow cannibal as he stood up in court, murdered three women, and tried to take his life in the past few weeks. It seems as though there is no accountability. Let me ask the question then. Can it be possible, one, that the Bible has something to say about that, and also, is it possible that this story that we have recorded in the Gospel of Matthew might have something to say about those two events? Because I think it does. I think it has something really powerful to say about those particular events, and therefore it speaks powerfully into today. So let's consider from the text this particular story. Let's see how the story unfolds. Jesus opens up by saying, uh, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And then he goes on to uh, tell us this story, and it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a kind of time team insight into the customs of the day. It takes us back 2,000 years and allows us just for a few minutes to observe a traditional first-century Jewish wedding. That's really important for us to think about. That really important for us to see. Jesus uses just a common everyday story, something that all of those who heard it would immediately be able to relate to. They'd know what a wedding was like. Jesus wouldn't be telling them something particularly unusual. So let's see how the story um, unfolds. We see that there are ten, they're described in the Bible here, as virgins. Uh, they were unmarried women, virgins, bridesmaids if you like. Uh, and in the tradition of the day, there would not have been uh, either widows or married women who were bridesmaids. The tradition of the day would be that it would only be 
unmarried virgins who would be bride, bridesmaids in the wedding procession. And it seems as we, get, as we glean the kind of story here, we see that the way a wedding worked is that the, the bridesmaids would be ready. And um, as the bridesmaids prepared themselves, the bridegroom would arrive. And uh, we know from other uh, historical uh, references that the, the bridesmaids would accompany the bridegroom to the wedding feast. And what we see here is another little insight. Uh, in this particular story, we see that uh, there are ten bridesmaids and they are all carrying uh, lamps. It would have made for the day quite a spectacular display. As the bridegroom arrives and, and walks towards the wedding ceremony, uh, accompanied by these ten bridesmaids holding lit lamps. It wouldn't mean a great deal to us today in a day of electric lights, but in a day of simple lighting, just flames. Imagine what it must have been like, uh, a bridegroom arriving with a procession of five bridesmaids, each at his side, uh, making the journey through the town towards the wedding reception. What, a, what a, an amazing thing, what a sight it would have been. And that's what Jesus is, is wanting us to, to see. To, uh, and I guess for the, for the hearers of the day, it, it would have just been second nature. But we need to just take a minute and think what's going on here. The bridesmaids are waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. That's the way a wedding worked. But there's something else, another little insight that we see here. And uh, we see that... Uh, it, we're not living in a day where time was held to uh, with great rigidity. We live in a day now where we are just driven uh, almost to the minute, aren't we? Uh, everything is ordered, everything is organized. We have a time for X, Y, and Z. And, uh, and when we work very much to time, I would guess there would be very few of us uh, here this afternoon, who haven't got some way of being able to tell the time on you. Uh, it seems as though carrying a watch is going out of fashion, uh, but you all carry a mobile phone. I guess most of you would know the time by looking at your mobile phone. We are driven by time. And yet what we see here is it's a very different kind of environment. It reminds me of, um, of, of what it was like... Uh, uh, when I was in Burma fairly, fairly recently, past year or so, um, time was just, you know, whatever. Uh, I've got a, a friend, Shuiki. Many of you know Shuiki. And uh, he, he tells me that he's, he's going to come and stay with us. And um, it's, it's going to be a roundabout X that he's going to be with, he's going to be arriving. And um, we're not really sure when he's going to leave, but it'll be some time after that. And culturally, it's just so different. You know, I'll arrive and, uh, and then I'll go at some point. And it's, just, it's just strange, isn't it, for us who, who are driven by such clear, organized uh, plans. And yet what we see here is that the bridegroom is late. Well, not really late. I mean, that's, that's the important thing about the story. It's not particularly unusual 
that the bridegroom hasn't turned up at a specific time. It was just normal for the day. Uh, and the, uh, the bridesmaids who are waiting for him, they relax. Day goes on. They fall asleep. They've not done anything wrong, falling asleep, waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. They fall asleep. There's a shout goes up. The bridegroom is here. We're now ready for the procession. Uh, and it, the, the shout goes up, obviously, by somebody who has the responsibility of organizing the, the, the event. Get your lights ready because the bridegroom is here. Uh, and so then we see that we've had an insight beforehand. We know what's going to happen by the way the story has been told. We know that there are five bridesmaids who've prepared with extra oil, and there are five bridesmaids who haven't brought extra oil. The little lamps um, would have had a piece of cloth stuck in the front, and, and oil would have been required for them to burn. You soak the oil, uh, soak the rag in the oil, light the, light the rag. Didn't burn for very long, uh, relatively short time, uh, 15, 20 minutes in these little lamps, uh, and then you would need to regularly uh, keep adding oil for it to keep on burning. And then, what we know, because we've been told ahead of time in the story, we now find that it becomes clear and evident to everybody else. Five of the bridesmaids are prepared, organized. Five of the bridesmaids are what the storyteller, what Jesus describes as foolish. Five wise, five foolish. What is it that makes the difference? Five of them are prepared. Five of them are unprepared. Five of them have not got themselves organized. Now initially you look at it and you see what happens is we find that uh, the cry goes up in verse 6 and then over on to verse 7 we find that the, the, they wake up, they trim their lamps, and they realize, give us some of your oil. You know, you've, you've got some oil, give us some of your oil. And initially you might think, oh, that's really unkind. Why didn't they share their oil? Why didn't, why didn't they just give them a bit of oil so that they could all go into the, into the wedding ceremony? But, but the point is that the lamps burned very quickly, relatively limited amount of oil, if they shared their oil, there might not be enough oil for all of them to make the procession. So there might not be a procession at all for the bridegroom. Everybody might run out. And so these wise uh, bridesmaids say, look, go and buy some oil. It's interesting, isn't it? It says midnight. In actual fact, it probably means something more like the middle of the night. It can mean either, but it means sometime in the middle of the night. It seems as though the brides, bridesmaids suggest go and, and um, knock on the door of the, the oil merchant uh, and go and buy some oil. <laughs> Maybe you have to pay a premium if you wake him up in the middle of the night, but just go and buy some oil. Uh, and then, you know, rush back and we'll all get in. But if we give you some of our, our oil, there's a danger that we might not get in either. Because we're, we've got limited amounts of oil. Uh, and so we see that we don't really know, do we? 
whether they managed to get some oil, they certainly go away. Did they get some oil? We're not told. Did they dash back and, and without any, having managed to get any oil? But what we find is that in the time that they are away, the procession takes place with five bridesmaids. They go into the wedding ceremony. The doors are shut. And the five who've gone for oil are barred. And that's the message of the story. There is a real danger uh, of being barred from the ceremony by not being prepared. That's the simple message, isn't it? Simply put. Uh, and look at the way the, the five bridesmaids respond. They don't go to the guy on the door. They shout to the bridegroom himself. Let us in. You see that? Sir, sir, open the door for us, they say to the bridegroom. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I mean, just think about this. Just imagine how stark this statement is. I don't know you. It's not even, look, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that you didn't manage to get some oil and get ready in time. It's a stark statement. I consider that I don't know you. So there's the, the basic story as it unfolds. But I think that this particular story has got a lot more to say to us. One of the things that we need to do is get a little bit under the skin of what did a, what did a marriage ceremony actually mean? If you've, um, if you've had the joy of a nativity play, you'll, have, uh, rem you'll remember some of the readings that, that we have around nativity. And one of the words that's used regarding Mary and Joseph is that they are betrothed. Uh, it, we, we often use, a little bit incorrectly actually, we use the description that they were engaged. Well, they were, but it's much deeper than simply an engagement in Jewish first century tradition. In fact, we know from writings that a betrothal was such a commitment to a marriage that you actually had to effectively divorce from a betrothal. We know that because Joseph also says uh, he, he decided to divorce her or put her away privately to in, uh, avoid the embarrassment of Mary's pregnancy he decides that he, he won't kick up a real problem for her, but he will deal with it in a way which had to be required so that they would be effectively divorced. One of the things that we see here is this. This wedding was absolutely going to take place because the bridegroom and the bride were betrothed. So we have these bridegroom, these bridesmaids who are, who are preparing for the wedding. But the wedding is, isn't a, a possibility. We have people who, who are informed, who know about the wedding taking place, and we have the problem that they, they've not behaved in a way which shows that they are absolutely sure that the wedding is going to happen. They're not prepared for it. Now, the way Jesus is opening up this story is to say, 
this is the way it's going to be when the kingdom of heaven is fully established. Remember that one of the things that we see is it's all about the kingdom of heaven. We see that Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven, the way the kingdom of heaven unfolds, it has a step change in it. We've seen in some of the other stories that the kingdom of heaven is kind of established by Jesus coming into this world. But this story is different. There's a step change. There's a point at which the kingdom of heaven is seen in a bigger way. And one of the ways that it is most seen is because there is a final, there is a separation of people who enjoy the kingdom and people who are separated out of the kingdom. People who are part of it and people who are barred from it. But even more important, even more dramatic, is that we see that both of those people knew about the coming kingdom and the difference was not that whether they knew or not, The difference is whether they were prepared for it. See the difference there? Some of the others is about knowledge of the kingdom. This one is about, are we prepared for the step change in the kingdom? All of these bridesmaids knew that the the wedding was going to take place. Five were prepared and five weren't. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is going to be just like that. I, I, I find that towards the concluding chapters of Matthew's account of the life of Jesus an incredibly powerful message, isn't it? We've been hearing about the kingdom for months, a couple of months now. We've been thinking about the message of the gospel of Jesus for the past 18 months in this place. And what we see here is a stark warning that it is possible to know about it, to be informed of the coming step change in the kingdom, to be aware that it's going to happen, and yet still not prepared for it. That's an incredibly powerful thing to think about, isn't it? It's not good enough just to know about the kingdom. It's not good enough to know that the kingdom of Jesus in this world is going to change. Jesus tells this story on the back of a description of what it's going to be like at the, at the kind of fulfillment of his kingdom. He says it's just going to be like normal life. Do you remember me saying that Jesus used a normal picture here, an everyday picture? That's just what it's going to be like. Just normal life. Things going on. He says, and just as it was in the days of Noah, it was just normal life. And then in an instant, in a moment, everything changed. The whole world was literally turned upside down. You know, it was kind of everything was destroyed and there was a separation there there was those who were prepared for it 
there was those who were unprepared for it. And Jesus is saying we need to be aware that the kingdom of heaven has that same characteristic for the future. When the step change happens, there are some who know it's going to happen, but still aren't prepared for it. You say, well, is there any way then in which the, the wedding idea of first century Judaism has anything to say about Jesus' kingdom? I think there is. We think about the fact that there was a betrothal and then there was a wedding. One of the things that the Bible makes clear again and again and again is exactly the same process has taken place. There is a betrothal. Jesus has betrothed himself to his bride. You say, what? what? Betrothed himself to his bride? Jesus has betrothed himself to his bride, and Jesus has therefore, because of the pr- tradition, because of the pattern, he has absolutely committed himself to the fact that there is going to be a wedding. You know, here we are, 2,000 years after Jesus walked on this earth. And some people would be thinking, is it ever going to (laughs) happen? Is it ever going to be the case that this kingdom is going to be seen? Exactly the same pattern. Jesus has betrothed himself and Jesus is committed to the wedding. How did he betroth himself? How can we be so sure? Jesus betrothed himself, committed himself to the absolute guarantee of a future wedding by coming into this world, by dying on a cross, and by rising again. What an amazing thought. Jesus commits himself to his return Jesus commits himself to the step change in the kingdom of heaven by saying, I'll come into this world, I will die, I will live again after that death, I will return to heaven glorified, risen, living, and because of that, you need to be sure that I will return again. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. This parable is what ties together the life of Jesus and the future visibility of Jesus when he returns again. When there is a step change in this world. When there is a separation. When there are those who are not prepared for his return. And when there are those who are prepared for his return. And he says, I've betrothed myself by dying on a cross. I live again so you can be sure that I will return. I live to return. Paul says it in Corinthians in this way. He says, if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, the whole of this message, the whole of what we proclaim, is a complete waste of time. It's useless. 
It's of no value whatsoever. If, if, I haven't, if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, it's meaningless. It is. <laughs> because it gives no assurance of a future kingdom. But the very fact that he did rise again, the very fact that he does live, means that the future kingdom is guaranteed. This is going to happen. The obvious outcome of that is this. <laughs> We've got to be ready. We have got to be prepared for that step change in the kingdom. Prepared, not just aware. It's possible to be aware and to be separated, to be banished. That's what these five bridesmaids find. They know the wedding is going to take place, but they're not prepared. And what we're saying from this parable is we need to not just be uh, aware, we need to be prepared for it as well. We need to effectively have what you might say is we need to have uh, the righteousness of the oil in our lamps. <laughs> we need to be found to be prepared. What does that mean? How can, how can we work out what that means? I think this parable has, has something to us in preparation for that as well. Here we have these bridesmaids. What's their big concern? What's their big focus? Five of them are really concerned about one thing, and five of them are pretty, pretty unconcerned. Five of them aren't particularly bothered about the groom. They're not prepared enough to make sure that the groom's reception is fitting. Their eyes, their focus, their heart, their commitment is, is more to them, more to their sleep, more to getting on with life, no preparation. Their concern is not towards the groom. They'll sleep. They'll get some oil. They haven't got a heart for the groom. And yet there's another five who their hearts are just, they're just there. They're itching to make a great presentation to the bridegroom. They, they, their heart is just, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about, it's all about this bridegroom arriving. It's about how amazing we can create the event. That gives us a little insight of what preparedness means, I think. Where, is it, where are our hearts? Are our hearts switched? I know that that switch isn't completely kind of on and off, all for Jesus, and we're battling with it day by day. But are we continually, step by step, day by day, working towards less of a focus on me and more of a focus on the bridegroom. Is Jesus more important? And am I becoming less important? I think that's at the very heart of what the, bride's, bridegroom, uh, sorry, the bridesmaid's preparedness is all about. I think that that is an indication of whether we are preparing ourselves right correctly, whether we are getting ready <laughs> for the assurance of the step change in the kingdom. I said right at the beginning that I think that this parable has something to say about dramatic injustice. I think it does. What it tells us is this. There is going to come a time in the future when the step change of the kingdom 
the shift that takes place rights all of the wrong. All of those who seem to have got away with it. All of those who seem as though we can kill a dozen people or a hundred people or the tragedies that are going on in Kyrgyzstan at the moment, right at the moment quite possibly, with ethnic cleansing going on again. All of those things where people, it seems as though there's no repercussions, this says there is. (laughs) There's going to be a time when there is accountability before the king. There is a time when there is a separation. There is a time when those who are parted from the joy of the bridegroom, when there are those who are pushed away, who are separated, when there is a day of reckoning. Do you know, I think that that is great news because quite honestly, I'm not sure how we cope with no reckoning. (laughs) Because it seems as though there's the possibility that people can just get away scot-free, doesn't it? There's no repercussions. They can shatter people's lives, end their own life, and it doesn't really matter. They've got away scot-free. But this, this parable reminds us that according to Jesus, that is not what it's going to be like. I don't think we can cope, quite honestly, without a day of justice, without a day of reckoning. I look at that and I think, you know, we're all in this room. I don't think any of us are mass murderers as far as I know. But I also know that every one of us have got a rebellious heart towards the king. To a greater or lesser extent, all of us deserve separation from the king. And yet, graciously, the king has come into this world not to rule us, but to serve us. (laughs) To die. He dies first so that we don't die. Amazing. He comes to serve, not to be served. That's That's the kind of king that Jesus presents himself as. Yes, there's a day of reckoning. Yes, there's a day of accountability. Yes, there's a day when I have to stand and be judged. And I know I'm guilty. But I also know that there is a great king who stood in my place where when that day of absolute reckoning, which is assured by his death and his resurrection, which guarantees that the wedding is going to take place, I know that he stands for me. And I know that he stands for many in this room as well. That's great news. And uh, maybe this parable has given us an insight that the overriding message is this. We have got to be ready. Somebody wrote this. It is a condition of life here on earth that we do not know how long it will last. It's true, isn't it? It's a condition of life here on earth that we don't know how long it will last. Similarly, a condition of life in the kingdom of God is that we cannot know when that kingdom will be consummated here on earth. In other words, there are two things that we need to bear in mind. One is, we don't know how long our life will last. But the second is, we don't know when the bridegroom is going to turn up. We just don't know. 
That's what this story tells us. Can I encourage you? Those of you who've walked a Christian walk for many years, can I ask you, are you continuing to work towards preparedness? Being prepared for the arrival of the bridegroom. Is that your heart's desire? Can I also ask you, maybe you've never considered it before at all, ever. Maybe you've been coming along and you've been thinking, you know what, this is beginning to make sense. Are you prepared?